It's a great joy to be bringing God's word uh, to us this evening. I'll ask that we pray together once again. Our Father in heaven, we want to now quieten our hearts to receive your word. We thank you, O God, for the promise that you gave to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, that how we who are bad fathers are able to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God, our Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. And indeed, O oh God, we come pleading with you for this promise that you might meet with us, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be able to illuminate your word to us, that we will, O oh Lord, be able to behold the wondrous things that are contained therein. And therefore we plead with you, O oh God, speak to us, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so I'll ask that we turn in our Bibles to Luke, and uh, chapter uh, 13, and as you do so, um, when, when I was asked to bring God's word to us, I, I was surprised uh, because I've been a member for 24 years at this church, and this was the first time this request was coming. But then in reflecting on what uh, we should consider, uh, my mind drew back to how God has been good to us as a church, uh, how he has blessed us with so many gospel opportunities, and God has been speaking to us through the pulpit ministry week by week. And it's amazing to hear, you know, the 200 children gathering in Chipata compound wanting and hungering to hear the word of God. And in the words of Elder Bota, we are indeed living in, in great times of uh, gospel opportunities. But then this is again towards the backdrop of a situation where it's not like this. Uh, we, we hear from the elders' uh, pastoral prayer, which has a, a religious geography segment where we learn about countries and how the evangelical faith is doing, and we note that it's not so in many other places. Uh, we, we, we can talk about what we heard in the morning, England, and indeed also New Zealand this evening, Churches are closing, but God has been gracious to us as a people. And the question I would like us to address this evening is, how do you respond to such great opportunities? What, what should be our duty during those times when God has been good to us? And also, if I look at the congregation here, I'm seeing, you know, the second generation Christians those who, whose parents, you know, got saved here and then had children and then children also got saved. So we are seeing that God has been good to us. 
And let's read Luke chapter 13 there, and we see also a similar situation. Luke chapter 13 and verse 22, he went on his way through towns, that is Jesus, he went on, uh, he, on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has, aris has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to, and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be uh, last. So we are seeing there, the Lord Jesus Christ is making his way to Jerusalem. And then an unnamed guy comes and says, Lord, is it, are there a few who will be saved? In other words, Lord, is, is it just a few numbers or, or it's many who will come to faith and eventually uh, get into your kingdom? So that question betrayed the fact that the guy you know, had, had some presuppositions and some assumptions that he was making. And being a Jew, uh, I tend to think that the Jews believed that they were the covenant people of God. And therefore, they deserved to go to heaven. And also, it was just a matter of asking, okay, who else, apart from us, who are going to inherit the kingdom of God? And the Lord Jesus Christ says, mm-mm. It's not necessarily the case. Okay, strive to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, you look at yourself and say, amidst all these opportunities, am I truly a child of God? Have I truly been jointly, in a saving way, joined to Christ Jesus? And that is what uh, he's, he's saying. And we can learn from this passage that in moments of great gospel opportunities. Our duty as individuals is to ensure that we ourselves are partakers of that gospel opportunity. That we ourselves are truly saved. And therefore that's what we want to look at this evening. And when I look at a congregation like this at KBC, 
As we said already, God has been gracious to us, and the word of God has been preached day in, uh, week in, and week out. And many gospel opportunities, people calling to come and ask if we can also go and share the word of God with them. I wonder if somebody here who has been involved, in fact, in the very process of ministering to others, whether truly you are a child of God. And therefore, we're going to study this uh, text here uh, under three heads. The first one is to, to see the urgent duty that we ought to do or perform in the days of great gospel opportunity. And the second one is the fact that there is a tragic, tragic, uh, the, the tragedy of missing such an opportunity. The Lord says there that when the master comes and closes the door, so the gospel opportunity might not last forever. And then in the third place, we'll look at the consequences of missing the gospel opportunity. Therefore, let's look at this text. Okay, the response to that unnamed uh, person asking, will there be few uh, that will be saved? And the Lord says there in verse uh, 23, someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he answered in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. In other words, what is our duty? Our duty calls for internal introspection. To look at ourselves, you as an individual, has God really saved you? That is the first thing that he calls. So, in other words, every one of us, when God is moving in our midst, we ought to be thinking about making our election and calling sure. That's what Peter says. That's also the text that uh, Pastor Mbewe preached on uh, two weeks ago. It is asking that, am I truly in the faith? So it doesn't matter whether you've been coming to this church, like for me, 24 years, others, even before, uh, beyond that, the question is, are you truly a child of God? Yes, you might have been involved in the various ministries, and Kabwata is out, you know, uh, gospel-oriented, and therefore we go out to spread the gospel through the various ministries. You might have been doing that, but the question is, are you truly a child of God? And the Lord here says, strive, strive. That's the, the, the Greek word where we get that word, uh, uh, agony, in the English. So it's it really saying now you need to exert yourself. You need to, to do everything to the utmost to make sure that this thing is, is, is working. And you might be saying that, no, maybe it's, you know, so that I work very hard and become a Christian. No, it's not saying that. Because the basis of our salvation is through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness and uh, his death on the cross. But then here in the text he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. And that imagery of the door 
is what he uses again in John chapter, uh, John chapter 9. John chapter 10, uh, beg your pardon, verse 9. The same imagery of the door. Beginning from verse uh, 8, he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So in other words, our striving is not to do everything in our power so that God may accept us. No, but we need to strive to make sure that we are entering through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the door for our salvation. And therefore, the Bible is urging us that have you truly trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only basis of salvation? Have you gone to him? Have you passed through that door of salvation? Uh, but, but then notice also that that door is a narrow door. So meaning that you don't come with your own baggage, katundu, carrying this and that, into the door. No, you leave everything behind. You leave that baggage of self-righteousness. You leave that baggage of experience. You leave that baggage of being baptized or having done good works. And so you leave them behind and trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but, but then also, you, you need to notice that the Lord says in that text that it is not an easy matter to being a Christian. He says it there. Uh, look at the text. Verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. In other words, many will be striving. Many will be trying to go and enter, but they won't be able to. Why? Several reasons. It could be that the gospel has been watered down. It could be that others are trusting on their own. It could be that they believe that perhaps they are already, you know, Christians. So it's many who miss the mark. And therefore our duty is to make sure that we are striving to ensure that we are true children of God. It was the um, Spurgeon who warned his pastoral students, okay? Uh, and, and also Baxter does the same in his reformed, uh, reformed pastor. They all begin at the same place. Take heed of yourselves. And the first thing that you need to take heed of, that you are truly a Christian, that you are a recipient of the grace of God. And Spurgeon says that, you need to take heed of themselves. Take heed that you are in the state of grace. How horrible to be a preacher of the gospel and yet be unconverted. A graceless pastor elected to professorship on optics. He also gives an example where you are put as a chair of music and yet you are deaf. He says it's a horrible thing. You go and you are, you are looking at colors and yet you are blind. That's how a graceless pastor is. He says many preachers are in hell that had warned others to use the utmost care and diligence 
to escape it. Believe it, brethren, God never saved any man for being a preacher, nor because he was an able preacher, but because he was a justified, sanctified man and consequently a faithful minister. Have you seen this warning? You might be wondering, but why is he preaching an evangelistic service, uh, sermon in the evening? Spurgeon was preaching to pastors, would-be pastors. Richard Baxter was also saying this to the same pastors who were already serving in the ministry. Brethren, we need to strive to enter into the kingdom of God through that narrow door. So God is saying each one of us during times of gospel opportunities, we need to search our hearts and see that truly we are in the Lord. There's a hymn that we sing. He says that not the labors of my hand nor of zeal can fulfill the Lord's demand, nor could my zeal respite, nor oh, my tears forever flow. It's only Jesus who can save. Only him who can atone um, for our sins. But then what is our practical implications towards this duty? Okay? So if truly we know that our greatest duty during these days of gospel opportunity is that we need to ensure that we are Christians, our duty therefore, for you who is a true child of God, is that firstly, knowing and understanding the fact that we are living in the age of easy believism, okay? Uh, just go, you know, pray the sinner's prayer and then, you know, you are a Christian and continue. We, we need to, to be careful. We need to be asking ourselves, are we truly in the faith? And if you believe that truly a person has to strive to go through that narrow door, our attitude will be different. It will show in your commitment to evangelism. When was the last time you spoke to someone about your faith? When was the last time you shared the gospel to someone? We are saying that if you know that becoming a Christian is through striving, when did you do that? When did you share the gospel? Evangelism is the most poorly attended meeting or activity. We are not evangelizing. But we are saying that if you truly believe that a person will only be saved if they strive to enter by the narrow door, it will show in their commitment to evangelism. It was Joseph Allen, uh, one of the Puritans, uh, who, whose wife complained. You know, uh, she wrote the biography uh, of, of Allen. And she was saying that, you know, the man had only one problem. He used to neglect me as a wife. Why? And he would say, no, 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 uh, you, you, at least you are safe. You are already saved. But there are others out there who need to hear the gospel. He wakes up and says, it's another day. We need to labor for the Lord. The man even refused to go for further studies to improve upon his education and opted to go out and labor for the Lord to preach the gospel. 
Is that your passion? We are saying that if you truly believe, it will show in your commitment towards evangelism. But then also in the second place, if you truly believe that we need to strive to enter by the narrow gate, it will show in the commitment of your fellow believers, the children who have professed faith in your home, your fellow brothers and sisters, are they striving to enter through the narrow gate? The parallel passage in Matthew and chapter 7, the Lord Jesus Christ says there, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. Verse 14, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So if you notice here, the Lord does two parallel roads. Okay, There's a narrow gate and then also a broad gate. A hard way and also an easy way. Then there is eternal life and then there is destruction. So, in other words, those things follow each other. You go through the narrow gate, you go through the hard way or the constricted life. So, in other words, your life should be able to show that truly you have gone through the narrow gate in order for you to achieve eternal life or to receive eternal life. You can't say, I'm a child of God, and then you are living as though you're on the broad road leading to destruction. You can't. So in other words, when a person is truly striving, they will be able to be concerned the fact that if you are a true child of God, you will live a transformed life. And I'm saying that if you are truly believing that indeed you need to strive, you'll be able to shake your brother and say, brother, why is it that you are living in sin? You need to go up, you know, you, you, you need to live aright. It's sad when you sit in uh, business meetings and you hear of a brother or a sister being excommunicated and then the elders are complaining that some of the church members knew that this person was living in sin and they kept quiet. What we are saying is that that ought not to be because you need to be concerned of what is happening to your brothers and sisters. It is Hebrews and chapter 3 that exhorts us to do that. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, the Bible tells us there, Take care, brothers, lest they be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So the writer to the Hebrews is writing to Christians. He's saying you need to take care that there is no evil leading to falling away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ 
If indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. In other words, a Christian needs to persevere in holiness and faith right up to the end. That's when it's going to be confirmed that, that we are truly uh, saved. And the writer to the Hebrews is saying that if you see your brothers wavering away, falling away, you need to be concerned, exhort them. Go to them and say, brother, what's wrong? Okay, you need to walk aright. You need to walk in the Lord. So we are seeing there that you need to be concerned. And if you are truly believing, then you will be concerned about your brothers. But to you who is not a Christian, to you who is not a Christian, you need to cry out to God uh, for salvation. It doesn't matter whether your parents have been bringing you to this church since birth. It doesn't matter whether suddenly as you were going for outreach, they picked you up and uh, asked you to open in prayer, and then the next thing you knew, you were the one song leading, and the next thing you knew, uh, you were being baptized, and the next thing you know, you're already on the church members list. It doesn't matter. You need to check yourself and sh make sure that truly God has saved you. In Pilgrim's Progress, there's a guy, a character called Ignorance. Ignorance comes as, uh, you know, Christian and Hope are walking to the celestial city. He tumbles across the war fence and then joins them, and then they are going. So he says, no, but uh, hang on a bit. You, you, you need to go through the gate. You need to turn back and go. So he says, no, 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 the, 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 the road there is crooked, and you see uh, it's... it's, it's, it's it's, uh, it's very far. Where we stay is near. Besides, you, the way you are living and walking, is the same. I look the same as you are. Except, of course, maybe that uh, garment that you are wearing and, and the scroll. But everything about you and me are the same. And you could be feeling the same. You could be saying now, look, you know, some of our Christians lie. I also lie. You know, uh, in fact, I'm even more committed to, to the things of God than, than them. So maybe I am a child of God. But we are saying, no, it's not like that. You need to go through the narrow door. No, but going back might take long. Didn't you hear Pastor Mbewe here saying, that several times after he became a Christian, when he heard the gospel, he would go back and cry out to God, Lord, if you truly didn't save me, then save me now. But we are saying that this ought also to be a cry. Give up that pretense. Give up. When you see you are doubting in your heart that maybe perhaps God hasn't done a work of grace, don't say, no, the devil is a liar. I, I won't do that. You know, I, I'm a child of God. No, examine yourself. See, th th there's no need for you to hold on to your reputation and say, no, uh, you know, if I go and now tell my wife that maybe I'm not a Christian, 
then now she'll say, no, but you've been a hypocrite and so on. In this very pulpit or the front here, many years ago, we had a testimony of a brother who had been an elder in a Reformed Baptist church. And then saying, no, I wasn't a Christian. And there was a time he went and realized that, no, his Christianity was false. It was just skin deep. He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord saved him. He went back to his eldership and said, no, uh, I, I, I'm resigning as an elder. In fact, pastor, can you baptize me? So he said, hang on a bit. I thought we've been... But he says, no, I wasn't a true child of God. So what reputation are you protecting? And we thank God that he did that before it was too late. The Bible tells us that what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, including that reputation you're trying to protect, and then forfeit your soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing, nothing. So it is our duty to be able to examine and strive to make sure that we are truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the second place, back to our text, we see that there is a tragedy of a missed opportunity. The Bible says there in, this, in chapter uh, 12, sorry, 13, of our text, uh, verse 25. When once the master of the house has arisen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside to knock at the door, Lord, open to us. Then I will answer you, I do not know where you are coming from. In other words, we are seeing that there is a possibility that these gospel opportunities might pass, might pass you by. And we are saying it's a tragedy. A tragedy. Uh, Matthew Poole, in his commentary, suggests that when you look at this text, it seems that there is a predetermined time when a person needs to respond to the gospel call. So in other words, when God comes to you and saying, no, watch your life, you are not a Christian, you need to give your life to the Lord, and then you are hardening your heart, I'll do it tomorrow, the devil is a liar, I won't think about that. There is a time when God stops calling. And it is a secret determined in time. The crowds who are the recipients of what Jesus was saying here, we are listening to him. But they didn't know that he was on the way to Jerusalem. They thought they were going to continue with him. But we are seeing there that it is, there is a time when the gospel opportunities end. If you flip one page behind, in the same chapter, the Lord talks about the parable of the barren fig tree. 
where the owner of the, uh, the vineyard comes and says, cut it down. For three years I've been watering and so on, and it's not bearing fruit. And the vine dresser pleads and says, no, 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 give it some time. I'll water it, I'll manure it, and for one year, then if it doesn't bear fruit, then you cut it down. There is a predetermined time. These gospel opportunities will not continue forever. God will not continue calling you to salvation, but rather there will be a time when he will stop. Okay? We read of Judas Iscariot. John chapter 12, he's with the Lord there, and uh, Mary breaks the alabaster jar, pours oil on the feet of Jesus, and then he says, mm, no, 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 no. Does quick calculations. This should have been 300 denarii worthy of money now being wasted. You remember what the Lord said there? Judas, the poor you always have, but me, you will not always have me. And if you look at that text, and you look at Jesus addressing Judas, he's saying, Judas, I'm not always going to be available. I'm not always going to be available to plead with you. I won't be there always. The poor you have, but I won't be there. And Judas should have known that the Lord is still offering that grace to him. Luke tells us, it was six days before the Passover that, that happened. Luke tells us that Judas goes, cashes in with the, el the, the, the chief priests. And the elders, he says, now look, I can give you the guy you want. And they were very happy. They come to the Lord's table. John chapter uh, 16, I think. Sorry, chapter 13. And Jesus is troubled. And he says it again. One of you will betray me. That was a chance for Judas to say, now look, Lord, I'm sorry, it's me. You found me out. I repent. What can I do? But he dug in his heels, refusing that offer of salvation. The Bible tells us that they are asking, who is it? Who is it? And Jesus says, the one I will dip this morsel of bread and give to is the one who's going to do that. He was given that. That was also an opportunity for say, ah, no, 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 Lord, I was planning this, but now, please. But what did he do? He dug in his heels. And Jesus tells him now, and I think that's where the line is, Judas, whatever you're about to do, do it quickly. Let's get over and done with. And the Bible records that it was night, Judas left and it was night. And I think we can conclude that that night was not only night as a night, but it was also a night for that call in Judas' life. He missed out that opportunity. We can multiply example after example about that. 
There's Esau, the guy who sold his birthright. It was an opportunity, and then he says, no, what is this, you know, birthright? After all, I'll die of hunger. Give me that bowl of soup. Get the birthright. And that sad commentary in Hebrews that he despised that birthright. He was wicked, okay? And we are told there that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau. He sought to to inherit the blessings when he desired when he desired to inherit them. In other words, he sought them with tears, crying, please, Father, bless me also. But the window of opportunity had gone. It had gone. He was too late a hero. There's that song that we sing, uh, Marvelous Grace, um, Grace, Grace, There's a line there which is not accurate, I think, theologically speaking. It says, infinite grace. Uh, But we are seeing here that the offer of grace of salvation is not infinite. It ends at a particular time. Uh, By the way, that's not my original thought. It's uh, R.C. Sproul who uh, noticed that. Just in case you think, yeah, he really thought it out. No, it's uh, R.C. Sproul. But we are noticing there that the master of the house closes the door. But for you, it's different. Grace is available now. You can go to Christ now. If God has spoken to you, you can go to him and plead for mercy that he saves you. The Bible tells us that today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. In other words, when God calls you, don't miss that opportunity. The Lord tells us in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is light and easy. God is calling you. In Isaiah chapter 55 there, the Bible tells us that seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And the basic assumption is that the Lord, you seek him when he can be found. You call upon him when he is near. Don't wait until maybe you become better. Don't wait until maybe when the moon comes out or maybe... No, seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that the Lord might have mercy on him, compassion on him, and God will abundantly pardon. What a great and timely invitation God is giving to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, also there is an invitation. In the favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Why don't you go to Christ and say, now, Lord, 
in, in case the time I gave my life to you, it, it, it didn't happen. Now, save me for real. Save me so that I can truly know the joy of salvation. Joshua and the elders in uh, Judges and chapter 2 gives us that sad reading, okay, of the backsliding of the children of Israel. Chapter 2 and verse um, 7. Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. The Bible says there, And the people saved the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him with the boundaries, uh, within the boundaries of his inheritance in uh, Timnath, uh, Timna Hereth, I wish Eodabota could have read this, you know, uh, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So you can see there. What was the problem? The problem is that the generations that followed after Joshua and his elders and that, you know, old patriarch uh, uh, clan, they didn't know the Lord. In other words, they did not have that experiential knowledge of God, his works, what he had done. And then they went into backsliding. And we are saying that it is possible for a church such as this, 35 years, and then all of us, we are gathered to our fathers, the children now, maybe the second, third generation, they don't know. And what we are saying is that you and me need to know the Lord Jesus Christ in an experiential way, in a personal way. So don't just sleep, but rather examine yourself whether you know God, as Brother Graham had preached in the morning. But there are reasons why uh, others miss out the gospel opportunity. It's possible they never took advantage of the gospel opportunities that were given Maybe they were waiting for the right time. Maybe they assumed that because they were with Jesus, eating and drinking with him, then they were already in uh, Christ. It could be the same also. Because you go for YP, because you go for outreach, because you sing in the choir, because you do many things at the various preaching points and ministry activities, you just assume. And for them, they were eating and drinking. Maybe you even take part in the Lord's Supper. And you think, no, I'm therefore a child of God. 
But the Bible is telling us that no, 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 no. It doesn't happen like that. You need to strive to go through the narrow door because the door of opportunity might end. But then, lastly, what is the uh, tragic consequence of missing that opportunity? Back to our text, verse 27 to 30, uh, this more briefly, uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 27, the Bible tells us there, but he will say, maybe backing up from verse 26, then you will begin saying, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. We are seeing there the consequence of missing out on that opportunity. You will perish. You will go to hell. You will die in your sins. It's not me. That's what the text is saying. But it's saying there that there will be weeping and gnashing. And you know, you know how painful it will be? Look at the text again. He says there, in that place, verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing when you see. When you see. So you're already burning in hell. Then you look at, uh, across, you know, and then you see Abraham, Isaac. You see Chivale, Chanda. You know, that, that, that lady you invited to church. You, you see that person whom you were contributing for the Bible club, for them to hear the gospel, all those ministry activities you are de, uh, doing, when you see them, that them, they have taken advantage of the gospel and they believed in Jesus, when you see them, then you'll be weeping and gnashing your teeth. Because you realize that God used you for their salvation. And you yourself, you did not take advantage of those gospel opportunities. What a tragedy. When you see, when you see. John Banyan tells us about ignorance. Okay? So they get to the celestial city, uh, hope, hopeful and uh, Christian, they cross over, they are helped by, you know, the shining ones, and then they go into heaven. And then ignorance arrives. No king. First of all, he, he finds Ben Grody, who then, you know, has a ferry. They cross the river with, 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 with a boat. And he goes to heaven's gate, the celestial city gates, and starts banging. Okay. And the Bible, oh sorry, uh, the Bible, the, the, the writer says, And I turned to head back and saw ignorance come to the riverside. But he soon got over without half the difficulties which the other two men uh, met. Then glory, oh sorry, then hope a ferryman had with uh, him with his boat helped him over. When he had come to the gate, he looked at the writings above. Then someone asked, Whence comest you? And he answered, 
I have ate and drunk in the presence of the king, and he has taught in our streets. Then they asked him for his certificate that he might go in to show the king. So he fumbled in his bosoms, and there was none found. And then uh, the king told the other, so they told the king, but he would not come down to see him, but commanded the two shiny ones that conducted Christian and hopeful to the city to go out and take ignorance and bind him hand and foot and have him away. Then they took him and carried him through the air to the door that I saw was on the side of the hill and put him there. Then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven, as well as from the city of destruction. That's how Banyan ends his story. In the side of the hill, there was a door. And he saw that there is a door to hell right from heaven's gates. That ignorance was thrown in. So there's a door there. We can be all marching towards uh, heaven, marching towards Zion. But others at Zion's gates will be thrown into hell. And the plea to you is don't ignore these warnings, but rather go and cry out to the Lord to see if he can save you uh, for real. In conclusion, what can we say? I think the first thing is that you need to ensure that we take advantage of these gospel opportunities and ensure that we are in the faith. But then secondly, we need to ensure, you and me who are Christians, we need to ensure the purity of the gospel, that not everything that we are peddling out, the easy believism, but rather we need to insist that you need to go to strive and enter through the narrow uh, door. But then also we need to be praying that we make the most of these opportunities and that they last long uh, because as uh, Mrs. Botta was praying in the previous prayer meeting during our home group, that there will be night which will come when no man waketh. We need to take advantage of those opportunities. But then finally, it should be our singular duty. It should be my singular duty that I'm ensuring that I'm striving through the narrow door of the Lord Jesus Christ. That while on others thou art calling, that he may not uh, pass me by. Amen.